Welcome back, folks. I am your host, the always NFL offseason GM, Fred. And we got a great show here planned for you today. I was really hoping that we were going to get into some prospect talk, but the free agency period has just been absolutely ludicrous. And we had a ton of transactions and news that came out ahead of time as well, too. So I'm going to make sure we get to all that here today. So let's just jump right into it and make sure we de- dedicate the whole episode to it. So I think the easiest way to do all of this is going to be to separate it into three categories. We're going to do the, the pre-free agency news. So some of the biggest stuff that came down ahead of time, and we'll dive into some of that. And mostly it's trades and a few other smaller uh different types of acquisitions uh roster news and then after that we'll do the afc and then we'll do the nfc uh signings and movements during the free agency period so once again that'll be pre-free agency part one afc free agency part two nfc free agency part three so taking a look at some of the stuff that we've seen going on uh prior to free agency Uh, I know we hit on the Russell Wilson trade and the Aaron Rodgers trade on our emergency pod last week, so I'm not going to go into that any more further. We already dedicated about 20 minutes to that. But the first trade that happened was going to be Carson Wentz uh, going to the Washington Commanders. And the Indianapolis Colts actually didn't have to give up any compensation except there's a second-round pick swap in this, and I believe they gave up a seventh, and in return they're getting two third-rounders back. So you heard that correct. They actually got a return of two third-rounders, essentially, for Carson Wentz. And they moved up five spots in the draft order in the second round. So this was shocking to me because apparently Washington has also taken on Carson Wentz's entire salary. And it's about $28 million. And I just don't get it because this guy, I mean, he, he played all right but he was not like 30 million dollars worth of quarterback play in my book and he's not giving up draft compensation to like have him be the leader of your football team in my book like so it's shocking to me that they went ahead and made this trade I thought this was going to end up being more of like a salary dump trade that you see in uh the NBA where they'll trade Carson Wentz and they'll attach like a third or fourth rounder to him just so that the team will take on his salary and then in return maybe you get uh a lower selection or something along those lines. So I, I decided to understand this on multiple fronts. I know Washington was desperate after missing out on Russell Wilson to get a quarterback. Uh, this isn't the quarterback I would have been desperate for. I would have rather went and signed one of these free agent guys that went for a much, much less dollar amount that could be a stopgap solution for you and um, make taking a quarterback in the draft a little more palatable. So I just... On multiple fronts, this one did not make sense to me. And moving right along here, we're going to move on to the second transaction that happened over the last weekend. And it's going to be the Khalil Mack trade. Uh, The Chargers ended up sending, I believe it was a second and a sixth rounder in return to Chicago. They sent over Khalil Mack. And Khalil Mack, as we all know, is a perennial pro bowl or all pro type of player. He's getting toward the tail end of his career. I think he's in his early 30s now where he could possibly be losing a step. I know he's missed some significant time due to injury the last couple years, but uh, he's still a productive player when he's on the field. So pairing him up with Joey Bosa is a big deal for this defense because I think that they were really, really looking for an opposite pass rusher or a number two option in that defense to, to really stand out. And they haven't had it since Melvin Ingram left. And now they got Khalil Mack. 
And for a second rounder, that's not bad to get a guy that could be a potential all pro. But the reason it's a second rounder is because at this stage in his career, uh, injury concerns could come to the forefront here. You don't know exactly what you're going to get out of a guy that's this age and uh, has this many miles on the on the tread here. So I like the trade for the Chargers. I like that they're going all in. This AFC West is going to be an absolute monster nightmare for this next year here with all four of these teams being really good. So I'm really interested to see how it shakes out. It looks like they're going to try to build around Justin Herbert's rookie contract as fast as possible and do as much as they can between uh, the Cleo Mack trade and the Mike Williams uh, re-signing as well. So I like the all-in move. Uh, if you ask me again in about two, three years, if Cleo Mack's still on the roster, if I like this, I probably don't like it anymore. So, uh, and on the flip side of things, Chicago, it, they're, they're shedding the salary. They don't need, they're ripping it down to the studs. And basically they're going to try to rebuild this thing the right way, which is, is normally what you should do. You got to get it right all around the quarterback. And then you should bring the quarterback in. In this case, they already have the quarterback, they think, in Justin Fields. Let's build around him. Let's get as much around him as we can. And let's get uh, let's trim some of the fat on this roster that's not going to be around for our winning window in, you know, two to three years from now. So, I honestly, I think this is a win for both teams. You would like to see maybe a little com- compensation for the Chicago Bears. But a second rounder isn't that bad. And especially to get rid of some of that salary, I think, is even a bigger deal. Moving right along to the next trade. It's going to be the Amari Cooper trade uh, for, from the Dallas Cowboys to the Cleveland Browns. This, in my opinion, was the most shocking trade I've seen all weekend. I did not understand what was going on with this. Uh, essentially what happens is the Cleveland Browns are receiving Amari Cooper in exchange for a fifth and a sixth round pick. So you heard that correct. They, get, they take on Cooper's full salary, which is about $18.5 million, and in return, they only have to give up a fifth and a sixth rounder. Uh, I believe he's still under contract as well, too, past this year. So this is just mind-blowing to me. I don't understand what's going on here. Like, Amari Cooper is a good football player. Uh, his production, I believe, is down compared to what it would be on a roster where he's a number one option, mainly because he's splitting targets with CeeDee Lamb and Michael Gallup and Dalton Schultz and even Blake Jarwin at points. So, like, I don't... like. He's going to have down numbers because there's six other moles to feed. I mean, in my opinion, he was the number one option in that offense. And, I mean, you don't want to pay $18 million. But we'll just get into this one then too right away because after you you shed the $18.5 million cap hit, you turn around and you sign Michael Gallup to a $13 million extension, who I don't think is as near good of a player as as Amari Cooper is. Amari Cooper's been healthy. He's been good. He's a great route runner. And then we take a look at Michael Gallup. He's coming off a torn ACL, and they're only a year difference in age. So it's it's not like you're getting this huge supplement of youth movement. So they, they apparently just chose to go the cheaper route by $5 million, take on Michael Gallup and bank on him hopefully being getting coming back from this injury, which, I mean, essentially getting hurt at the tail end of the last year, you're basically just mortgaging this next year. So it's... It, it was a baffling move by me or by the Dallas Cowboys. I didn't really understand it unless they thought their margins were going to be that close on the salary cap that this, you know, five, uh, four to six million dollar range was going to be a big difference. Then, you know, maybe you could sell me on that. But just in general, I'm was not a huge fan of this move. And if I'm Cleveland, I'm making this trade 
I'm sprinting it in. I didn't. I, I would not believe that this is what happened. I thought at least a third or fourth rounder uh, gets some similar compensation to what you would get in like a, a compensatory pick, but not even that. So Amari Cooper to the Browns in that one. Uh, the next big news that came over the weekend, and it might have been the biggest, the biggest news. It was going to be the Tom Brady returning from retirement. So there's been a lot of rumblings around. Is Tom Brady really done? Is he coming back? Is he going to come back for the Buccaneers? Is he going to demand to be somewhere else? Uh, it sounds like that was squashed pretty fast by Bruce Arians that if Tom comes back, he's only playing for us. So that then not, in my opinion, I thought, okay, well, he's not coming back then. But then right before the free agency period uh, gets started, we get the news that Tom Brady is in fact coming back. And this is huge because that NFC South was going to be an absolute dumpster fire, any no man's land, essentially, unless Deshaun Watson goes there. That's another talking point for a different day. But essentially, it's a no man's land out there. And now with Tom Brady coming back, they're the, the hands-on favorite in the NFC South, I'd say. Uh, and really in the NFC, maybe altogether, because it really influenced a lot of these free agency decisions on some of these guys to maybe take a little more cap-friendly deals or take some shorter-term deals to come back to the Buccaneers to try to capitalize on this window with Tom again. So that was huge news for the Buccaneers. They, they take themselves out of the quarterback market. They don't have to go out and find a capable starter to play this year. They don't have to go out and scout draft or rookie guys to come into the draft here. They just get to run it back one more year. And it sounds like, uh, as we'll get into some of their free agent signings later in the episode here, that they're gearing up. They're going all in again. So huge news on the Tom Brady front. Then the last bit of news that I wanted to go over here before we get into some of the free agency stuff is going to be the Kirk Cousins deal. This, I, I don't understand how he keeps getting paid and by the same teams. is. I guess Minnesota is kind of like in Indianapolis territory where they're just so afraid to like put their necks on the line and like go after a guy and like make a big swing on like a high risk move for like a rookie quarterback or try to make a big deal where you, you deal out multiple picks and tie Kirk to him and send him and get a guy like a Russell Wilson or something like that. I, I guess that they're just more risk adverse. They don't want to make a decision like that, but like it, they're just mingling in mediocrity by keeping Kirk around and they just keep extending him out and they fully guarantee these deals so he's obviously going to love them I mean 35 million guaranteed as soon as he puts his name on the dotted line so I mean that's exactly what he wants that's exactly what he got the other year or a couple years back in free agency when he came there and really I mean you know what you're going to get with him you're going to get average to above average play you're going to get at least you know six to seven wins but then you're going to get a lot of boneheaded plays. You're going to get a lot of plays that, that don't really make a lot of sense for their offense. It's putting the team in tough situations. Or really, when they get put in a tough situation, he's going to fold. So, like, I just I don't get why they had a really great opportunity here with a new coach, a new front office, to, to kind of, like I said, for the uh, Chicago Bears, to rip it down to the studs, to get it right, to shed this Kirk money, get him out of the building, get a young guy in here, start rebuilding, because you, you honestly really do have some solid trenches, and if you wanted to look on to move on from Daniil Hunter to get some more young guys in this room, you could do that as well, too. You could make this a bare-bones rebuild, especially with the new regime, but apparently, I'm, I'm guessing that was something in the clause of the contract that they were rebuilding, they were going to try to attack this window, so 
we'll have to see how it fares for them. I think at best, Kirk Cousins might get you 10, 11 wins. He might get you a wild card appearance. And you'll flame out in the first or second round. Uh, and it, it won't be... He, you won't get there because of him. And you won't win because of him. But you'll lose because of him. And on the, the low end of the spectrum, you've seen it this last year, you're going to get six or seven wins. And you're going to lose a lot of close ones. So not exactly sure what Minnesota's trying to accomplish with this move here. But I guess at least we know they got their quarterback for the next year or two as well. So tracking these free agency moves, I'm taking a look here. And we're going to start in the AFC East. It's going to be the Buffalo Bills. And going down the list here, they got Jake Kumro, Isaiah McKenzie, O.J. Howard, uh, Roger Saffold, Mitch Morse, Daquan Jones, Tim Settle, Von Miller, and Syria Neal. And uh, I'm just going to go through some of the contracts that are some of the bigger ones. And obviously, we're going to start off with Von Miller here, the, the star edge rusher out of uh, previously L.A. and previously Denver. He ends up signing for a six-year, $120 million guaranteed. Or excuse me, a six-year, $120 million deal, $51 million guaranteed. Uh, and it's basically 17 and a half through the first four years. So I'm guessing there's some kind of salary cap gym, gymnastics going on here with this guy. I don't foresee them paying him for six years when he's going to end up being 38 years old. I'm thinking this is more going to be like a four-year deal. But I think that this gives them a huge uh, a huge addition here on the defensive side of the ball. I think they lost Jerry Hughes this offseason, which has been a mainstay along their defensive front. And now you get another one of these quick really dedicated uh, pass rushing guys and really he's not that bad in run defense he looked pretty good in LA this past year so I think that's a huge add for them and also you get OJ Howard on a one-year deal as well uh, a really approve it deal to kind of pair him with Dawson Knox and get some some different looks here uh, through this offense as Dawson Knox kind of emerged as a really good threat this last year as well and then uh, they did lose Levi Walls to the Pittsburgh Steelers. So bringing back Sear Neal on a three-year $10.9 million deal gives you some cornerback depth as well. But the rest of these are kind of those depth signings. Roger Saffold, uh, Jay Kumro, Isaiah McKenzie, all guys that are... Saffold might get some playing time uh, to start off. But the other guys like Kumro and McKenzie, those are some of your depth guys. Your wide receiver three, wide receiver four, special teamer kind of guys. So those are the big splash ones. But I think that the Buffalo Bills getting Von Miller is a, is a huge win for themselves. And moving right along here in the AFC East, we're going to move down to the Miami Dolphins. They end up adding Teddy Bridgewater, Chase Edmonds, Raheem Mostert, Alec Ingold, Trent Sherfield. Preston Williams, Cedric Wilson, Mike Gusecki, Connor Williams, Emmanuel Agba, Duke Riley, and Landon Roberts. So it's going to be a huge list here. Uh, the Dolphins had a huge cap number to play with. And I, I kind of really liked what they did here. There's a, there's a one or two signings that I don't really understand. But for the most part, a lot of these make sense. Uh, I don't necessarily know if I like the Teddy Bridgewater signing. I guess you get a good a good vet to back, to back up Tua. But the Chase or the Chase Edmonds and the Raheem Mostert signings are absolutely elite. I I thought that Chase Edmonds just alone would have been enough because this is exactly what uh, Mike McDaniel is going to want in this offense in this wide zone, uh, fast running back offense here. But you get two of these guys that are interchangeable and gives you some depth and gives you some breathing room in case one of them goes down with injury because they do have an injury history. So I really like those additions as well too. But uh, taking a look, they bring Preston Williams back on a very, very low deal. It's like 
just under $2 million for a year. That's perfectly fine. He's shown to be a capable chain mover when he's been called upon, you know, a wider receiver three kind of action. But the the signing that I didn't really necessarily like, and I put this in my article out the other day, uh, was the Cedric Wilson um, signing. I didn't I didn't really get it. I mean, he's never been more than a wide receiver four, and I get his traject his trajectory is kind of moving in the right direction here. He's always done better and better each season that's went by. But paying a guy eight million dollars that's never had more than six hundred yards in a season, or like more than four or six touchdowns is that's risky in my book. That's something that I wouldn't do. And he's not like he's this bona fide number two receiver that's going to take the pressure off Jalen Waddell. Cedric Wilson is not scaring me if I'm opposing defenses. So I didn't really like that move to make him your second wide receiver unless you're going to move on a big name receiver in the draft here. Uh, moving right along, they ended up franchise taking Mike Gusecki. The number at about $10, $11 million made a lot of sense for a lot of the tight ends to get tagged. So that one wasn't too bad. Emmanuel Ogba was a really uh, big-time edge player for them this last year. It was one of their priorities, it sounded like, in free agency to bring him back. So they get their guy there. But uh, the, the last one that I wanted to hit on that I really liked, and once again, I included this in my article so you didn't get a chance to read it. Uh, here's your blurb on it. But Connor Williams was sneaky, sneaky above-average offensive line uh, player for the Dallas Cowboys this past year. He does a really good job in the run game. I think PFF overall graded him like just under 80 overall, which is an above average grade for their their system. And I think that this is exactly what the Dolphins need. They need to add established veteran players that are really good at run blocking for this Mike McDaniel system. And that's exactly what they're going to get in Connor Williams for the next two years. He's going to be able to come in and start at one of the guard spots for you right away. And Robert Hunt's probably the other one. And guess what? Your interior offensive line short up, ready to go day one. So really like a lot of these Dolphins moves as uh, they added a ton of guys, added a, a lot of guys that made sense. So moving right along into the New England Patriots, they end up getting Brian Hoyer, uh, James White, James Ferentz. Uh, Mac Wilson in a trade with the Cleveland Browns for Chase Winovich, uh, Terrence Mitchell, Devin McCourty, Nick Folk, Matthew Slater. And essentially, the Patriots made no big splashes other than maybe the Winovich deal for Mac Wilson. But really, that's kind of two depth, you know, mid-tier rookie guys on rookie contracts that aren't really established just yet. But they bring all their guys back, really, is what they're doing. They haven't made a big splash yet. I keep hearing that it's on the horizon. I see it out there on Twitter. You know, they're, they're clearing cap space. They trade away Shaq Mason. They're clearing up cap space for something, but they haven't pulled the trigger yet. So it remains to be seen. It's starting to look like it's the Patriots of old. But apparently they really liked what they had last year, and they, they're, I'm guessing, banking on some upside from uh, Mac Jones to make some development and kind of take them to the next level. But nonetheless, it's, it's not a terrible approach, but it's also not an approach that's going to make you better right now. Moving forward, the next team we're going to be taking a look at here is going to be the New York Jets. And honestly, if I'm being completely honest, the New York Jets have had probably one of my favorite off-seasons thus far. And they've really been honestly killing it, I think. Uh, if we take a look, they signed Joe Flacco, Tevin Coleman, Braxton Berrios, Tyler Conklin, C.J. Usama, Connor McDermott, Lakin Tomlinson, Nathan Shepard, Jacob Martin, D.J. Reed, Jordan Whitehead, and LaMarcus Joyner. So a couple of my favorite contracts out of that bunch. 
the one that was announced recently was the Tyler Conklin one. He was the one that had a really good, uh, the tight end that had a really good year in Minnesota this past year. Uh, usually these tight end deals are like kind of mid-tier free agent deals. Uh, even like the Osama one for three years, $24 million. That's a really affordable contract on guys that are like proven dudes. Uh, and especially in this Lafleur offense, if you can block and just be a, a average receiving threat, you're going to be a huge asset to the team. So that's why I really like this, uh, this these deals for at tight end for the Jets right now. And then moving ahead, one of my other favorite ones is going to be the Lake and Tomlinson deal. I pointed this one out before free agency started. This just made way too much sense with the offensive line need for the Jets. And Lake and Tomlinson has, has been a really good run blocker in the, the same Shanahan run-heavy wide zone scheme the last few years out in San Francisco. So bringing him in was a no-brainer as well, too. The numbers are a little high, but for a proven starter like that and a need on this offense, it more than made sense. And uh, the last contract that I really liked is I threw this one out there the other day. It was to the Jordan Whitehead safety contract. Uh, I honestly was really interested to see if they were going to get Marcus Williams. But at that $15 million number he was looking for, it just didn't make sense. And then they go and sign a guy like Whitehead who gives you a ton of versatility. He can play up high and the two high. He can play single high. He can be down in the box, super physical, run defender. I mean, if you if you look at his snap count, I think they had him listed. He took defensive line snaps this past year. Like, it's kind of crazy. So I, I really like the Whitehead signing, too. I think he could be a big uh, part of that solid defense. And him being only 25 years old is, like, huge. Like, he fits their timeline. If he really outplays this contract, he's going to get a new deal, and it's going to be a longer one for more money down the road here. So win for both sides. Uh, there's not a lot of contracts I don't like here. Uh, the one for DJ Reed is a little high, but he graded out really well with PFF this past year. Uh, don't really get the Tevin Coleman re-signing. I guess he fits the system, or even the Joe Flacco one, but they're cheap deals, and they fit the system that they run. So really like what the Jets are doing so far. Uh, moving along next to the AFC North, we get to the Baltimore Ravens, and the Baltimore Ravens have currently only signed Morgan Moses, Zadarius Smith, and Marcus Williams. So only three contracts, but these are three big-time contracts. These are three guys that are probably going to start for the Ravens this next year. They lost Alejandro Villanueva, so they bring in Morgan Moses to replace him, who had an all-right year in Washington. Then they get Zadarius Smith, who returns home. He originally was drafted by the Ravens, went to the Packers, had two really, really good years, and he comes back, and it was a huge position to need for them. So getting him to come back into the house here and reestablish this defense is big. And then the Marcus Williams, the crown jewel of the safety class this year. Uh, I really wanted Marcus Williams to go to the Jaguars. I thought that he could get a big money deal there, but if he's going to get a big money deal to come play for a contender like Baltimore, I don't see why he wouldn't do that. So another great signing by the Ravens as they continue to, to close up some of the gaps in their lineup this, this offseason here. Moving along to the Cincinnati Bengals, the reigning uh, AFC champs. Uh, they currently have signed Alex Kappa, Ted Karras, uh, PJ, or excuse me, BJ Hill, Jesse Bates, Michael Thomas, the defensive back, and long snapper Clark Harris. So we all knew that they had an offensive line need uh, coming into the season here, and they get two signings right off the bat here. Alex Kappa, who's a really good guard who's played in Tampa Bay the last couple years, he gets a big-time raise to come play for the Bengals uh, and support Joe Burrow at their probably biggest need along the offensive line. And they get another offensive line, Ted Karras. I believe he had previously paid, played for the Patriots. He's an above-average center. 
He gives them some veteran leadership as well along the front there and another big-time signing to help support Joe Burrow. But my favorite contract out of this bunch here is going to be the B.J. Hill one. Uh, they had a really improved run defense this past year. I think I, I put it in the uh, the free agency article I put out. It's going to be, I think they were top five in the league overall. And their depth along the defensive line was a huge part of it between Ogunjobi, B.J. Hill. I know they got Tyler Shelvin on the roster as well. But these are all guys, or D.J. Reader too. But uh, they lose... Uh, Ogan Joby just because he gets paid an unsurmountable money from the Chicago Bears but you, retaining BJ Hill at 10 million dollars that's that's you know middle of the pack defensive line money and BJ Hill was a good player for them that they traded for so I really like them going out and paying him and keeping him so the Bengals I, I don't think they've lost anything really this year I don't think they've really gained that all that much though either so I, but I mean when you're a Super Bowl contender that's all you got to do to stay in the race Moving along the AFC North, we're going to get the Cleveland Browns here. And the Cleveland Browns currently, uh, their offseason moves have been adding Jakeem Grant, excuse me, Jakeem Grant, uh, franchise taken to David Njoku, trading for Chase Winovich, as we previously mentioned, uh, Taven Bryan, and then a Anthony Walker re-signing. In addition to the Amari Cooper trade that we had discussed earlier, I think the Amari Cooper trade is a huge get uh, when you take a look and see that they've lost OBJ, they've lost Rashard Higgins, They've lost Jarvis Landry. They have a ton of holes on this offense. And now the Baker Mayfield situation seems to get, be getting stickier and stickier each day. So I don't know what this offense is going to be. We know that they're going to be able to run the ball with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. But outside of that, uh, getting Amari Cooper was a must. you got to have at least one big-time target to go along with David and Joku here. And uh, moving to the next transaction, Chase Winovich. Not a bad get. He didn't get a ton of playing time in New England, so he gets a fresh start, and they only lose Mac Wilson, who was a good starting linebacker, not a great one. So you you lose an average player for an average player. They, they both can be starters on teams, so that's why it, it was basically a swap for, hey, we have some depth here. Give us some of your depth that can come play for us right away. Uh, Taven Bryan, uh, a flamed-out prospect from the Jacksonville Jaguars. It, the deal's reported as up to $5 million, so I'm guessing it's like a vet minimum deal. But if he shows out, then he'll make more money. And then Anthony Walker. I thought he was a really underrated free agent. I thought he played really good. I believe he was with the Colts before he came here. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But I believe he's, he's, he's played really good on the defensive side of the ball when he's healthy. So that's why I was kind of targeting him as one of the mid, mid-tier linebackers that could start for you right off the bat. Uh, with a with a veteran presence, and the uh, essentially the Browns get them back here. Now there's no currently terms discussed, but it's a big get for them. Now to the Pittsburgh Steelers, the last team in the AFC North. They have a pretty big list here, so let's fly through it. It's going to be Dwayne Haskins, Mitchell Trubisky, uh, Chuka Wuma Okafor. I apologize if I pronounce that wrong. Uh, James Daniels, Robert Spillane, Arthur Mollett. Excuse me. And then the last get is going to be Miles Killebrew. So the big names here, obviously, Mitch Trubisky, he's going to get a chance to start right off the bat. I don't think it's just outright his job. If he gets outplayed by Haskins or even by Mason Rudolph or if they bring in a rookie, I, I, I honestly think he might lose that job. But it's very reminiscent. I heard this one thrown around there of when the Bears signed Mike Glennon to get an established veteran in the room. That doesn't mean you need a quarterback anymore 
it just basically covers your bases and just in case it gives you the opportunity to have one fall to you. So how ironic it is that Mike Glennon gets signed and they draft Mitch Trubisky and time is a flat circle so that this team signs Mitch Trubisky and they may look to uh, draft a quarterback. So that'd be really interesting. But uh, the other move that I really like out of these bunch is going to be the James Daniels, uh, the offensive lineman move. He was a really young player. I believe he's like 25. He's coming over from Chicago. And he had up and down seasons in Chicago, but essentially everybody on that team did the last few years. And the Pittsburgh Steelers dealt, or dole out about $8 million a year to get him. He's going to come in and be in the starter on the interior of this offensive line right off the bat. And that was one of the, the main positions of need outside of possibly quarterback was this offensive line. They tried to do a patchwork one this past season, didn't quite work out, and they're going to get some extra help here. Moving into the AFC South, uh, this is going to get to be a little murky, but I'm going to go through their list here as it currently stands. Right now they have Jeff Driscoll uh, re-signed for the Houston Texans, Royce Freeman, Daria Gumbawale, uh, Chris, excuse me, Chris Conley, Farrell Brown, Cedric, uh, I, I don't even know how to pronounce his last name. He's an offensive tackle, Ogabee, and then Justin Britt, A.J. Can. Malik Collins, Blake Cashman, Kristen Kirksey, Ogbo Aquaro, I apologize once again, uh, MJ Stewart, Terrence Brooks, and Desmond King. Another huge list. And it seems to be a growing trend here with the, the Houston Texans that they keep bringing these guys back on one or two-year deals that have an option to basically cut bait and keep their cap space as like a moving number moving forward until they get some of these big contracts off the books. But I know that when we did our fixing the Houston Texans segment, there was a couple of guys that I thought that they would target as re-signs. And Chris Conley was one of them. I figured it was going to be a cheap deal like this. You know, one, two, three million. And essentially, you keep a guy that can get some playing time for you in a pinch. And I, I like that re-signing. Uh, the Desmond King one was one that I mentioned in passing. I think that he could be a really good slot corner. I can't believe he didn't have a bigger market out here. I know he's in his early 30s, late 20s now. So he's kind of getting up there in age. But for a guy that can come in and man the slot from day one and give you some returnability if needed, I thought that he'd have a bigger market. I didn't like the Christian Kirksey re-signing. Uh, I thought that you could get better value out there uh, in the draft. So that didn't really necessarily make a lot of sense for me. But they acquired Blake Cashman in a trade for a six-rounder. So that, that's a low-cost one as well, too. He's got some serious speed at the second level as a linebacker. So maybe he can end up supplanting Christian Kirksey, make him a little more expendable in the future. But other than that, these are a lot of like low-level, low-impact deals, guys that aren't necessarily sticking points on your roster. It appears as though they're keeping Laramie Tunsil, but uh, there's been some serious rumblings out of the camp here with Deshaun Watson that he may be moved today, and today is uh, Thursday morning here. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. But it's, it's going to be interesting how that shakes out. It sounds like three first-round picks and players are coming back, which is a huge haul. That's something that you can rebuild your entire franchise around. So there should be a lot of optimism here in Houston's camp once uh, Watson does get moved. Moving along to the Indianapolis Colts, who is a fairly un-inactive team here. They re-signed Mo Alley-Cox, uh, Matt Pryor, Tyquan Lewis. Yannick Ngakwe was traded for. Zaire Franklin and Brandon Fasten. So, the big deal here that we're going to see is going to be the Yannick Ngakwe one. 
basically they flip Rockus in, the cornerback. Uh, I believe he's like a second or third year pro uh, in exchange for Yannick Ngakwe. So Yannick Ngakwe actually is a, he's more of a pass rush specialist type of player coming over from the Las Vegas Raiders. He didn't have a bad year playing opposite uh, Max Crosby. But it seems as though that this is going to be a guy that's going to slot in to jump right in and help in their defensive front right off the bat. Uh, he can play opposite the past year's rookie uh, out of Michigan. Uh, it's completely blowing my mind what his name is. It's super athletic. It's going to bug me. So I got to look it up here <laughs> as we're on the pod. So I apologize. Uh, but essentially Yannick Ngakwe coming in being a starter right away. And he's going to be an elite ad for them uh, right off the bat. I think he's going to have a huge, huge uh, presence in that that forefront. He can play alongside DeForest Buckner as well, who's had a really great resurgence since coming to Indianapolis. And Quiddy Pay, that's the gentleman's name that I was thinking of. So he gets to play opposite Quiddy Pay. And this is slowly coming to be a really good defensive front. And also, the Colts add a couple of third-round picks here in this Carson Wentz exchange. So they're, they're winners all over the board here. But it's time for Chris Ballard to make a big swing at quarterback. And they've been thrown around as a possible destination for Baker Mayfield. I don't consider that a big swing. They need to get a guy, like, as soon as possible. And there's not going to be a lot of patience if they don't get one this year. So that's something to monitor as we move forward as well. To the Jacksonville Jaguars we go next in the AFC South. And their signing list is, and it's it's an expansive one. They've spent a lot of money this offseason. It's going to be Zay Jones, uh, Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, Cam Robinson, Brandon Sheriff, Tyler Shatley, Folier Fotokasi, uh, Foye Aluakun, and then Darius Williams. So a lot to unpack here. A lot of these deals are huge money. Uh, you see my my least favorite ones is what I'm going to start off with here because I have two of them that stood out so much that I included them on my piece this week. It's going to be the Christian Kirk contract, which is absolutely bonkers. He's like top five wide receiver money. And this is a guy that has four career 100-yard games. He's never been over 1,000 yards. He's never been a number one option in his offense. I don't even know if you could say he was a number two option in his offense over there in Arizona. So I think this is a huge concern. And it's not that I don't like Christian Kirk. I like Christian Kirk. But I like Christian Kirk at 10 million, 11 million, 12 million a year. I don't like Christian Kirk at 17, 18, or 21 million, which is essentially how this contract has been reported. So that, that is seriously concerning for me. The other contract that I really don't like out of these is going to be the Foyer Luacon contract. It was rumored that the Atlanta Falcons offered him like $10 million to stay in house there, and he turned it down for $15 million with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, the Jacksonville Jaguars ended up cutting bait with Miles Jack, who's been a standout linebacker for them. Don't understand that transaction at all. I would much rather have Miles Jack at whatever number they had him at than this guy who's had a really good year last year. Uh, Foyer had a really good year. He was a leader in NFL tackles last year. But it's a one-year wonder. It's a six-round draft pick. He's bounced around from team to team. He was originally drafted by the Jets, goes to the Falcons. And now you're going to pay him $15 million to play off-ball linebacker. I just, I don't agree. I would have rather went like fourth, fifth, sixth-round guy and try to input him and get the same similar production in this defense. Then the, the contracts that I do like, I do like the Evan Ingram one. I think that's a good high upside bet. He was a super athletic guy coming out of Virginia Tech. And he never really lived up to it in 
New York Giants, maybe that's because of the environment around him. But essentially, if you get a guy that really can live up to his first-round pick status, I'm more than happy to pay him, you know, $10, $11, $12 million over an extended period of time next year after this one-year deal's up. So that's a high-upside pick that I really liked. Uh, the Brandon Sheriff one, I don't know if I would have went with a 32-year-old offensive guard, but they get the offensive line help they needed. If he can stay healthy, he's going to be an instant upgrade over anybody they had on this roster on the interior, and he's going to be a big-time signing. Uh, Darius Williams is another big one. They signed a three-year, uh, $30 million deal. He was the former cornerback for the Los Angeles Rams. He's got inside-outside versatility. Uh, I just, I don't know if I would have tried to add him to a really crowded corner room that they already have. They got uh, Shaq Griffin. They also got Tyson Campbell, who they drafted. So it'll be interesting to see how he fits in. But at that number, I imagine he's going to see the field. And then the last piece that I wanted to hit on was going to be the Cam Robinson uh, franchise tag. I didn't think that they'd franchise take him. I thought that they'd try to work a deal out with him. But nonetheless, it seems as though they appear they they see him as their left tackle of the future. And that, that that's not a bad thing. I think if you can surround him with really good pieces on this offensive line, I think that that's fine. You can move ahead with him as your offensive tackle in the future. So between him and Brandon Sheriff, they're looking to completely revamp this offensive line, which is a big deal for Trevor Lawrence. And then the last AFC South team that we're going to hit on here is going to be the Tennessee Titans. Uh, they ended up cutting bait with Julio Jones, so that was a big that was a big nugget I wanted to add in here. I think that's going to have a big impact as they gave up a second rounder for him. But they also re-signed Jeff Swaim. They get Ben Jones. They re-signed Harold Landry. And they also signed Morgan Cox, long snapper. So none of these are big deals. The Harold Landry one was one that I thought was a big deal, uh, I, if any of them, uh, just because he was really good last year. I thought that he was a really good draft pick. Should have been a first-rounder when he came out. Ends up going in the second. But he really came on last year. They get him at about, I think it was, what, $15 million per? Not even $17 million. That's That's good money for uh, a number one pass rusher and at age 26. So I think that this contract could age really well for them as he approaches his prime here. And I think that they're going to get a steal on that one. So Harold Landry coming back home. But the rest of these guys are just, you know, mid-tier mid-signings. I know that they kind of have some cap problems. They're up against it, so I don't know if they're going to make a big swing or not. But that's that's currently where they stand as the AFC South. Moving to the AFC West, we get the Denver Broncos. Their big uh, acquisition, the Russell Wilson trade, we don't need to go over that. We beat that one to death last week. But then they also re-signed Calvin Anderson. They get Randy Gregory. They get DJ Jones, Josie Jewell, and Malik Reed. The one that we're going to really hit on here is going to be the Randy Gregory one. Randy Gregory's been kind of quietly a really good player for the Dallas Cowboys. He had some uh, off-the-field issues his first few years in Dallas, and that seems to have come to a, come to a head here in his, his departure from Dallas. Essentially, they included contract language that he did not like particularly and basically said, you know, go fly a kite. I'm going to Denver. Who's going to give me the same contract without the language in there? So I think that's a big deal. Now he gets to come in and play opposite of Bradley Chubb and be another big part of this defense. This defense could be really scary this year to combine with having an offense that finally has a competent quarterback at the helm. The Denver Broncos may be a force in the coming year. Moving on to the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, they don't have necessarily a ton of moves, but they have some big-time impact ones. They re- they restructured and re-signed uh, Frank Clark to free up some cap space. They tagged uh, Orlando Brown, the tackle they traded for last year. And then they also re-signed Chad Henney. And then they made a deal with Justin Reed. So 
most of these guys are, are retention moves. Uh, I'm not going to go into too far depth about the guys they're retaining. But the one move that this is actually one of my, if not my favorite move of all of free agency so far, they get a, a 25, 26-year-old safety in Justin Reed coming over from Houston. And they get him for three years, $31 million, so about $10 million per. But he's been a really versatile chess piece in that Houston defense. And when, when you're playing in Houston, you're basically just – playing football in obscurity for the last two years so it's it's no wonder he kind of gets lost in the fold but when you have the option of paying you know 15 16 17 million to a Tyron Matthew or paying a 10 million to Justin Reed you're not going to get the exact same production they're not the same player Tyron Matthew is one of the the best of the last decade but at a number that's almost half of what uh, Matthew's commanding I'm okay with making that move for Justin Reed because I think he's worth at least 13, 14. And to get him at 10, 11 for the Kansas City Chiefs, big get for them. And he'll be an instant impact starter for them. So another big deal for the Kansas City Chiefs. Moving on to the Oak, or not Oakland, the Las Vegas Raiders. They made some deals, bringing in some former uh, New England Patriots guys. Surprise, surprise with Josh McDaniels. They uh, they get Brandon Bolden. They get Chandler Jones, Belial Nichols, Rocky Sin in a trade, and then they re-signed Max Crosby. Uh, the Max Crosby deal made him one of, if not, I believe, the, the highest-paid defensive player in the league. Uh, well worth it. He was one of the most impactful pass rushers this past year. But getting him to play opposite of Chandler Jones is like a nightmare scenario because Chandler Jones is still a really good football player, and now you have possibly two of the top 10 best pass rushers in all of the NFL playing on the same defense. So I don't care who's playing coverage behind them. I mean, they have Nate Hobbs, who played really good this past year. They get Rocky Sin in a trade. And I mean, <laughs> it don't matter who's playing back there. You're going to get balls thrown your way just because these guys are pressuring uh, opposing quarterbacks. So that's... That's sneaky. Some really good offseason moves here for the Oakland Raiders. Or Oakland. I keep saying Oakland. The Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, and I'm interested to see because this, this division is going to be an absolute meat grinder. Because we're going to get to hear the, the, the Chargers in a second. But they also have made some key additions. So moving into the Chargers realm here. They had some big signings. They uh, re-signed Mike Williams. A three-year $60 million deal. Which is huge numbers for a guy that's been... Eh, iffy on the health side of things they also traded for Cleo Mack as we previously talked about they signed Austin Johnson they signed Sebastian Joseph Day they signed JC Jackson and then they signed long snapper Josh Harris so JC Jackson obviously is the one the big money deal I honestly thought when he first signed he was going to get like 20 million a year but it comes out that he's like averaging like 16 million per over the life of this deal whether he actually sees five years will will remain to be seen. I think all of his money's in the first two or two to three years. But either way, this is a I mean, you can make a case that JC Jackson is the best coverage corner in the NFL. And I don't think people would argue with you. He's got insane ball production. He's scheme versatile. They're gonna love this guy in Los Angeles. And now that he's playing behind Khalil Mack and uh Joey Bosa look out like this guy is going to be a wrecking ball he's going to be one of the best corners in the league and I wouldn't be surprised to see him put up seven interceptions again but the other uh, deals that we're going to discuss here Sebastian Joseph Day he's a Brandon Staley guy he played for him in uh, Los Angeles he gets a big money deal to come play for him here be a starter along that defensive front take some pressure off the outsides or the edge parts of the defense here as he plays some interior defensive line 
And then the Mike Williams one we talked about. 20 million per for Mike Williams is a lot, a lot of money. So I think you're expecting him to be or replicate the production we've seen this past year from him, which he hasn't been able to do. So whether he lives up to that, we'll see. But nonetheless, the the Los Angeles Chargers seem to be pushing all their chips in the table. So that's going to be it for the AFC. We're going to take a quick break here. Then we're going to come back with the NFC. So for the last segment on today's episode, uh, or this week's episode, I should say, is we're going to jump into the NFC part of the signings that we've gotten come down the last week here. So, so we're going to start off in the NFC East, and we got the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, we already mentioned the Michael Gallup re-signing. Uh, they also take Dalton Schultz. They re-signed Demarcus Lawrence. Uh, they also re-signed Malik Hooker, and they re-signed their long snapper, Jake McQuaid. So not a ton of movement there. The the Randy Gregory was a pretty big loss for them, but I think retaining Demarcus Lawrence, especially at about 13 mil per year, is a pretty big deal for them. Uh, Malik Hooker was a big upside swing last year that actually ended up panning out, so that's another good signing for them as well. Uh, the, the real head-scratcher, though, was the Mike Gallup one. I didn't really understand what they were doing, uh, letting Cooper walk and then keeping him around, so... Uh, we'll have to keep an eye on that to see what that, that impacts them in the draft or not. But it, it looks like they're going to have some work cut out to try to walk back and get the talent back that they've lost. Looking ahead here, it's going to be the New York Giants. And the New York Giants ended up signing Tyrod Taylor, uh, tight end Ricky Seals-Jones, John Feliciano, and Mark Glowinski. So they get a couple of real mid-tier offensive line signings that could help build the depth back up at that position. And then Ricky Seals-Jones is not like this outstanding game-breaking tight end, but he's a real consistent blocker, decent pass threat. He'll be a good middle-of-the-tier type of guy to to build around until you get your full-time guy at that position in-house. So the interesting one here is going to be Tyrod Taylor. Essentially, to me, this this tells me that they're looking for insurance in terms of if the, the Daniel Jones project doesn't turn out this year. So it seems like they're going to try to build around Daniel Jones, give him the best chance to succeed. But just in case he doesn't, they can move on from or move on to Tyrod Taylor as like a stopgap solution to keep them competitive at the same time. So moving to the, the Philadelphia Eagles, they currently have signings of Greg Ward, uh, Jason Kelsey resigns, Hassan Reddick, and then Andre Chicherry, I apologize. Like I said, there's going to be a lot of names on this list that I don't quite get. So the big ones here, Jason Kelsey, he's an all-pro, Pro Pro Bowl center, a key piece of that Super Bowl team a few years back, and he's coming back for a one-year deal. Many thought he might retire, so it looks like they won't have to replace that production on the inside. But the one that I was a huge fan of that I really wanted to include this on my my article that I put out this week was going to be the Hassan Reddick signing. I think Hassan Reddick's like super undervalued uh, since switching to defensive end, edge defender in his days at Arizona. He's had two really good back-to-back years for Arizona and then the Carolina Panthers, and he's he's cashing in on a $45 million deal. I think if we can somehow find try to find a way to unlock this guy so you can get some off-ball production out of him as well too, I think he can become a really dynamic playmaker. But he's also already just a really good edge, so if you want to keep him there and keep playing him or keep having him make an impact on that part of the game, that that's fine with me. I, I agree with it. So another great signing by the Philadelphia Eagles. And the last team in the East here is going to be the Washington Commanders. They get Carson Wentz, as we discussed in a trade. Uh, they re-sign J.D. McKissick, and then they also get 
Andrew Norwell to, to replace Brandon Sheriff, and Bobby McCain is coming back as well. So the big ones here, the Carson Wentz one, you heard our thoughts earlier on that. Uh, the J.D. McKissick, he flip-flopped back and forth between Buffalo and Washington. Seems like he'd let, he'd rather stay in Washington at this point. And then Andrew Norwell, who was, when he was with Carolina, was a really good offensive guard in the interior of their offensive line. Then he went to Jacksonville and kind of fell off. He was oft injured. And they ended up moving on from him getting Sheriff. So essentially you trade him off here and get the, the cheaper option in Norwell. And hopefully you can keep him healthy, keep him being a productive interior offensive lineman uh, to help kind of replace some of the production you lost with Sheriff. I'm moving to the NFC North. We get the Chicago Bears who have signed Lucas Patrick, Larry Ogunjobi, Nicholas Morrow, and Patrick Scales. So the big ones here, uh, Larry Ogunjobi, he had six sacks as an interior defender, which is really, really good production this past year. And he cashes in $13 million a year. And I, I tried to poke holes in this to see how this would be a bad contract, and I didn't. It ends up being like the 10th highest paid interior defensive lineman. And if that's the, the contract you got to pay to get the production he's putting out there, that's a fair deal in my opinion. And Lucas Patrick uh, was a really versatile guy for the Packers this past season. Can play any of the interior spots from guard to center. So really it'll be a key depth piece for them moving forward after they lost James Daniels as well too. So the Detroit Lions, uh, taking a look here, the Detroit Lions currently have signed Tim Boyle, DJ Chark, Khalif Raymond, Josh Reynolds re-signs, Evan Brown re-signs. Uh, Charles Harris resigns, Anzalone resigns, Tracy Walker resigns, and CJ Moore resigns. So a lot of resigns here as we're taking a look, which uh, the, the first outside signing that really brought was brought to my attention that I really liked was the, the DJ Chark one, the one-year 10 million. G, DJ Chark is a former 1,000-yard receiver, and getting him to come back at 10 million to, to Detroit here, well, I shouldn't say come back, to come to Detroit here is a big piece because they are seriously lacking playmakers on that side of the ball. Amon Ross St. Brown looked really good as a rookie last year. They have uh, Logan Hawkinson at tight end, but outside of that, they don't really have a lot at the receiver and pass catcher's position. So I think it was of utmost importance at least to get one guy and then allow it to have a little flexibility in the draft here to get a guy, you know, either rounds one, two, three, so I think that was a big deal. Along with the Josh Reynolds, he played really good for them down the stretch. But I just don't see him having more than like wide receiver three upside. Uh, there's a ton of re-signs in here. Guys that I didn't really think are going to be impact guys. I did mention it on the, the Charles Harris deal. I kind of thought that he would have been a good one for them to bring back. At $7 million, it's a little steep. He hasn't had a ton of great production in his career. But... He was a guy that I really liked as one of the middle tier guys. But at four to five to six million, uh, seemed a little more palatable. But he's getting about seven million here to come back to Detroit. So he's obviously a guy they really liked. Moving on to the Green Bay Packers, and they have been extremely busy this offseason. Uh, the Aaron Rodgers extension was signed. The Devontae Adams uh, tag. Alan Lazard has also been uh, tendered as a restricted free agent. Devondre Campbell, Preston Smith, and Pat O'Donnell all being signed with the Packers. So the big first, the big one here, the Aaron Rodgers extension. This wasn't announced until uh, earlier this week, right before the salary cap deadline. Basically, he's guaranteed uh, 100, or it's 101.515 million is fully guaranteed uh, with 150 new money over the next three years. So eventually, essentially, it's like a 50 million dollars per year. It fluctuates in between there. 
But how it works is since it's all guaranteed money and signing bonuses or roster bonuses, it's going to clear up about $18 million in cap, which was the big thing for them this year. So Aaron Rodgers is coming back. The big thing here is he's tied to the Packers at least two, maybe three years. After that, his dead cap money is going to be absolutely wild. Uh, I've I seen reports somewhere from anywhere from like 68 to $75 million after that third year. So it's going to get pretty interesting what's going to happen from there. But regardless, Aaron Rodgers is going to be your quarterback for at least the next two years. Uh, it was announced that Devontae Adams, after being tagged, has said he will not play under the tag. I think this is a deal that they'd rather get worked out sooner than later to help clear up additional cap space. Because right now his cap hits like $18, $19, 20000000 million in that range. So if you can get a long-term deal figured out with him here, uh, that would go a long way. But also at the same time, it sounds like he's looking for $25 to $30 million a year, which is some pretty crazy numbers for a receiver. Uh, the Devondre Campbell, five-year, $50 million. It sounds like there might be some cap gymnastics at the end of that deal. Might be more closer to like two or three years. But nonetheless, he gets paid a big money uh, deal that I didn't think that they were going to be able to get worked out. And Preston Smith gets his deal reworked for a four-year worth $52.5 million. Uh, with the opportunity to earn upwards to $71 million. He had a really big redemption year this year, so I think it was really important for them to keep a couple of key pieces around after losing Zadarius Smith and Devondre Campbell and Preston Smith are two big ones. Moving on to the Minnesota Vikings, we already discussed the Kirk Cousins uh, re-signing, but in addition to that, they've also signed Harrison Phillips and Jordan Hicks. Phillips was a formerly a defensive lineman, I believe, with the Buffalo Bills. Linebacker Jordan Hicks was previously with the Arizona Cardinals. Both guys that are not like superstars at their position, but guys that can come in and play really quality snaps for you right at the beginning here. Uh, it's They haven't made a big splash move here. I don't know necessarily how much cap they have. There's been some rumors floating around that Daniel Hunter may be on the move. So that'll be a situation worth monitoring. Moving on to the NFC South, we get the Atlanta Falcons. They've signed Jake Matthews. Basically, they reworked an extension for him to get him uh, clear up some cap number for this year. And then also Young Wei Koo has also signed a five-year, $24.25 million extension. One of the better kickers in the league uh, finally gets his big payday. Most of this seems to be uh, ways to clear up some money in case Deshaun Watson is making his decision to come to Atlanta. It sounds like as of this morning, it's between them and the New Orleans Saints. So another big-time situation worth monitoring because there could be some key pieces moving after that comes down. The Carolina Panthers currently have signed Deontay Foreman, Brandon Zilstra, Austin Corbett, Marquise Haynes, Sean Chandler, Xavier Woods, and Zane Gonzalez. So not a lot to unpack here. A lot of the, another middling deals here. Deontay Foreman's interesting. I'd, I'd like to see how much his, his money's worth because uh, they seen extended playing time out of Chuba Hubbard last year, and it was less than impressive what we've seen. So I think this is just like an insurance policy for uh, Christian McCaffrey or if they decide to move on for Christian McCaffrey. But I just want to, I'm curious to see the numbers to see how much he really made coming into town here. They get some offensive line depth as well too with Austin Corbett. He was a piece of that offensive line from the world champs, formerly playing for the Los Angeles Rams. He cashes in on just under $10 million a year. So it seems as though he'll be slotted into either left or right guard for this offense. And then they also stole away Xavier Woods at safety to come in and play a key role. Uh, I originally, in my last mock draft, had them going Kyle Hamilton because I thought that would make sense, create some flexibility on the back end for them there. But I think that would essentially take them out of that 
safety market in the draft just because you're not going to have three of these big dollar high draft pick uh, type of guys with him, Jeremy Chin and Xavier Woods trying to crack the roster. So moving to the New Orleans Saints, the only big contract they've doled out, and it's actually only the only contract, is going to be the Marcus May one. They stole him away from the Jets on a three-year, $28.5 million deal. I really like Marcus May. Uh, there's been some concerns with his injury as of late. I believe he might have tore his Achilles uh, this past year after he got tagged. So it, it really sucks to see that. And I don't really know how the Saints can make these contracts work because it sounds like they're reworking every single possible contract they can because they're trying to get Deshaun Watson to come in the house. So if you get Deshaun Watson and, you know, knock on wood that this, this guy is actually innocent, I don't know exactly what's going on with that. I'm not going to speculate on his innocent or guilty status, but in terms of football talent on the field, he's a really great player, and he elevates this roster to the next level. So it seems like all signs are pointing to that's the, the direction they're trying to go. Sorry about that. I had a coaster here. Uh, moving along, the last team in the South here are going to be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We already discussed the Tom Brady uh, coming back from retirement. Uh, they also have traded for Shaq Mason, signed Russell Gage, uh, extended Chris Godwin after taking him. Resigned Rashad Perryman, signed Aaron Stinney, signed Ryan Jensen, and re-signed Carlton Davis. So the Tom Brady effect is in, or I should say, the Tom Brady effect is in full effect because they get Chris Godwin back, they work on an extension with him to lower that cap number, they get Ryan Jensen back after it looked like he was going to walk, and they get Carlton Davis back after it looked like he was going to command top dollar on the market as well too. So all three of them guys, big time pieces, and then you go and acquire Shaq Mason, who when healthy is a top five interior offensive lineman in this league for a fifth round pick, and I don't know, I tweeted this out after I seen it is I don't understand the NFL sometimes. If I'm any team that's a former playoff team, wild card to Super Bowl contender, or if I'm even 500, I'm making that trade nine times out of 10. It's a fifth round pick. You have no idea what a fifth round pick is going to be. He might not even make the roster this fall if he's bad enough. So that's definitely a fifth round pick I'm trading to get an all pro, pro bowl caliber offensive lineman. Uh, also, Russell Gage coming in. It creates some flexibility as well, too, uh, to help alleviate some of the losses with Antonio Brown. Prashad Perryman is a perfect uh, depth guy for them as well, too. So a lot of really great signings in Tampa Bay as they continue to be one of the NFC favorites. All right, and that brings us to our last division here. It's going to be the NFC West. We get the Arizona Cardinals. They ended up re-signing Colt McCoy, James Conner, Zach Ertz, uh, Max Williams, and then they also get Michael Dogby, uh, Dennis Gardeck, and... They also signed Jeff Gladney. So Jeff Gladney's had some issues off the field. Uh, he was a former first-round pick for the Minnesota Vikings. If uh, he's got his, his his stuff off the field under control, that could be a really good signing for them as they continue to look for some uh, defensive back help on this roster. Uh, the, the Zach Ertz, after they traded for him, they didn't trade a ton for him, but they're kind of giving him a lot of money for a guy that's you know in his – early to mid 30s there as well too they're giving three years 36 or 31.6 million uh 17 million guaranteed uh, also the signing that i didn't really necessarily like was going to be the james connor one i know he was really good for them last year uh mainly between the tackles and the goal line i think he ended up with like 16 touchdowns or something crazy but i thought that chase edmonds is a much better investment than james connor he was younger he was faster he's more dynamic I would have rather have seen them pursue that than try to retain James Conner. But 
to each team their own on how they decide to construct their roster, which takes us to the Los Angeles Rams. We kind of figured they weren't going to be big players here just because they have a lot of big, big money guys. It's hard to bring everybody back from a Super Bowl team, but they get uh, back offensive tackle Joe Noteboom, and they also get back uh, center Ryan, Brian Allen. Uh, two key pieces are offensive line uh, to try to anchor it after losing Austin Corbett uh, and Andrew Whitworth, Whitworth, who Whitworth ended up retiring this year. Uh, OBJ is still altered that they may try to work a deal out with him, but they have also lost a lot of other key pieces. Von Miller, Darius Williams, uh, two notable guys on the defensive side of things. So it'll be interesting to see what they can work out here to get that roster back to where it was. Moving to the San Francisco 49ers, they only have two signings as of this far. They re-signed running back to Michael Hasty, and then they also agreed to terms with Charvarius Ward. So Charvarius Ward, the former Kansas City cornerback, they're giving him about $13 to $14 million a year here. Not a bad deal for a guy that's been an upper echelon uh, uh, starting cornerback in the league. He's one of the better man-to-man defenders. And corner's been a, a really sneaky place of need for them. They really haven't addressed that in the last couple seasons here. So this is a, a step in the right direction for them. And I don't think $13 million is ter- not necessarily that bad for a guy like Traverius Ward. Uh, I personally would have went, you know, three or $4 million higher and got a guy like J.C. Jackson to, you know, really solidify that position. But if this is all you can afford in terms of your cap number, I'm okay with it. And then the last team that we're going to discuss here is the Seattle Seahawks. We're seeing a ton of movement on their front after moving on from Russell Wilson, as we already discussed. But uh, they re-signed Will Disley. They acquired Noah Fant in the trade uh, with uh, Seattle, or excuse me, with Denver, in addition to Drew Locke and Shelby Harris. Austin Blythe also is signing with them. Uh, defensive tackle Al Woods is re-signing. Uh, Uchenna Nuosu is also signing a deal with them. Artie Burns is signing a deal. They re-signed Sidney Jones, and then they also get Quandre Diggs back. So in the Russell Wilson trade, they get back Drew Locke, Noah Fant, and Shelby Harris. Noah Fant, uh, he hasn't really necessarily lived up to that first-round hype that I thought he was going to be. I thought he was going to be this really dynamic seam target. Uh, he'll get a chance here to be kind of like a, a, a big slot type of guy, like a former Jimmy Graham type of player after you see that they resigned Will Disley, who's more of an inline kind of target. So I'd imagine a lot of two uh, tight end sets with them guys. But also they get um, Shelby Harris, which is interesting to me that they didn't get Pat Sertain in this, but they get Shelby Harris, who's a, an early 30s interior defensive lineman defender, which is fine. He's 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 a good player. It's just I don't think he really fits their timeline anymore at this point, unless they're going to try to run it back and get some type of established veteran or high upside uh, vet at this point. My favorite deal that they had, though, as I discussed this in my piece this week, was Sidney Jones. Sidney Jones uh, played really good for them down the stretch. He graded out pretty pretty solid uh, PFF-wise. I think he was like in the mid-70s. And he has a ton of upside. He was, a, he was widely thought to be a first-round pick when he was taken in the draft, but he ended up falling to the second-round dude in Achilles' tear. And he's been working his way back from it, uh, playing for Jacksonville, playing for the, uh, the Seahawks. And basically what you're getting is a starting caliber type of guy for about $3.6 million, which is a steal. So, I mean, if you get any production out of this guy, you're already winning this battle. And, you know, worst case is he has another great year as a starter or has, an, has a good year as a starter here. Then you're going to start seeing a guy who can, you know, earn upwards up to 10 plus million dollars. You know, stuff that we've seen from like DJ Reed, uh, who were 
put into this system with Seattle and really excelled. So I'd be really excited about Sidney Jones coming here and pairing up with Trey Brown again. So that's going to be it. That's going to be our review of the NFC. I know it was a ton of stuff, so if you want to go back and listen again, but we're recording this Thursday morning, so there might be still more stuff that comes down the line here. It sounds as though Deshaun Watson's going to be on the move here very soon, and it's going to be a huge package. So stay tuned, and we'll have to include that on the next pod if we get it to come down. So that's going to be it for this week's episode. Uh, Like I said, we had a lot of stuff that we wanted to get into. I wanted to do some more fix your franchises. I wanted to get into our offensive line and tight end prospect rankings. But just with all the the influx of news coming in from the free agency period, I thought it'd be really good to run through pretty much every signing that every team's had and point out some of our favorite ones and some of our least favorite ones. So make sure you tune in next week. I promise we're going to get back into those prospect rankings. And uh, hopefully I'll fix your franchise at least as well, too, as we approach closer and closer to the NFL draft here. So, as always, subscribe. Otherwise, be looking for the pod coming out next week. Thanks, everybody.